Praise God. We praise you, Father, you're worthy. So we are back in the book of Leviticus. I know we took a break for a couple of weeks there, but uh, I'm excited to be back in the book of Leviticus. And so they are. <laughs> Listen, you can keep them here. That doesn't bother. <laughs> um, I'm excited to be back in this chapter, actually in this book. Um, it is a book that I think many times people don't read it because I think they don't fully understand the value and the gems that are in the book of Leviticus. But I, as you guys have noticed through the first seven chapters of this book, it's, we've learned so much from the book of Leviticus. Yes. And this morning, I pray that your shoes are tied because your socks are going to be knocked off. <laughs> um, when I tell you that chapter 8 of Leviticus ties what... Yeshua did on the cross for us, I really mean that. And I mentioned last time we were in the book of Leviticus that chapters 5, 6, and 7 pretty much went together, um, kind of set up a minor story of the book of Leviticus in those three chapters. And chapter 8 was beginning something new. Well, what we're actually beginning in chapter 8 is something that was spoken back in the book of Exodus, which we already read. But what I need for us to understand is that what was spoken in the book of Leviticus had not come to pass until, uh, sorry, what was spoken in the book of Exodus had not come to pass until now in the book of Leviticus. They were simply instructions by God to the people of Israel, but now these instructions that were given back then are actually coming to fruition in the book of Leviticus. Amen? But before I get started, like I always like to do, I like to mention our podcast. <laughs> Um, because there are people that watch us live um, from all over parts of the world, as you guys know. And, um, you know, whatever we use here in, this, in the United States are not being used a lot around the world. So um, you can find us in Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast, Stitcher, and Reason. Uh, 11 different podcasts. And you can find us in One Spirit, Miami. Also, if you're watching live and you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, you can go into onespiritchurch.com and there you'll get a return email with your donation. Now, going back to last week, I spoke a little bit on the book of James and spoke about what the works according to our faith meant, right? Um, the Bible says that works without faith is dead. And so we got to understand that whatever we believe in, whatever we proclaim with our mouth, which that we believe in our heart, our works need to align to that. If they don't, it's just a bunch of words. Worship is a bunch of words if we don't really take in what worship really means to us. Worship is another form of adoration. Worship is another form of, of pleasing God and what he's called us to do. And so if our works don't align with what our faith says, then it's dead. And so it's very important that wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say aligns to what that which we believe. Now, also, I wanted kind of to remind ourselves that we are in the midst of those 50 days. Who remind, who remembers what that is? The counting of the Omer. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but we are on our way to Shavuot, which Amen. is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, as a lot of them a lot of us know it 
Um, so from the last feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we celebrated uh, about three weeks ago, we should have been counting the Omer. And what is counting the Omer? Counting the Omer is literally taking time out of every single day, which we should be doing in the first place, to dedicate time to God, dedicate time in prayer, dedicate time in worship, and truly reflect on our lives what it is that God is calling us to do that we may not be doing, or things that we're not doing that we're not pleasing God. And so God gives us these 50 days, days of reflection up to Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, where, again, Pentecost, where the Spirit of God is, was drenched upon the disciples and says, okay, you know what? Reflect on your life. What is it that you're doing? What is it that you're not doing that I've called you to do? And then this year, Shavuot lands on June 4th to June 6th. It begins at sundown on Saturday in Sabbath and goes through June 6th. Amen? So I hope that you guys are taking the time to do that. I hope you guys are taking the time to reflect. I hope you guys are taking the time to pray because it is very necessary. And it's something that we're called to do in the first place anyways. So again, um, Leviticus 8 continues based on what was spoken on Exodus 29. So what we're actually going into today was actually spoken back on Exodus 21. Now, I'm not going to go back to Exodus 29 because we already finished the book of Exodus. But I am going to go into Leviticus 8. And what Leviticus 8 pretty much speaks about is the ceremony of the Levitical priesthood. And you may say, well, what, what does that have to do with me? Well, it's scripture. And go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and you'll see what I mean by that. Bibles calls us something, and it's something that we've mentioned before, and it's something that we should know. And if we don't, it's okay. It's good to be reminded from time to time. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, Amen. to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. Now go a little bit further down to verse 9, look what it says. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out. Come on. Called you out, meaning you were involved in something before God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. So what does the Levitical priesthood have to do? It has to do a whole lot. Yeah. It has to do everything. And this morning, like I said, we're going to learn something and how this ceremony is so tied to what Yeshua did on the cross for us. There's much for us to learn in this analogy of this ordination, the ceremony. God wants us to be set apart for his purpose. Mm -hmm. And I cannot emphasize enough his purpose. A lot of times we want to do things in our own strength, our purpose, but it's his purpose Amen. that prevails. Not only his purpose, but his will. His purpose, His will. You were created for His purpose and His will. Amen. You were not created to please yourself. You were not created to please your flesh. You were created for His purpose and His will and to take out His word out there to as many people that are lost Amen. just the same way one day you may have been lost and somebody spoke to you about Him. Amen. That's our job. So it is His purpose and His will. God uses these principles to accomplish that Go. Amen? Amen. So without further ado, go with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 8. And we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 5 and we'll stop and break that down. 
Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. says, Then Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, the garments, the anointing oil, the bull of the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of matzah. Then assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So Moses did as Adonai commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting, Moses and said to the congregation, this is what Adonai has commanded to be done. Please don't miss that phrase. This is what Adonai has commanded to be done. It's not what Moses has commanded to be done. It is what Adonai has commanded to be done. Very important. This is the reason why a lot of people don't like to read the book of Leviticus. Say, oh, that book was written by Moses. It doesn't apply to me. Torah was written by Moses, it doesn't apply to me. Well, the Torah was written by Moses, but it was instituted by God. Amen. Just as every other book in the Bible was written by men, but it was God inspired that book. It wasn't just man that wrote the book. It was inspired by the creator of the universe. Amen. Now, we read here on specific items God commanded Moses to get for the ceremony, as we read there in the first five verses. But also we cannot miss that this ceremony will be done in a public atmosphere, in a public setting. God wanted everyone to know who his chosen were. Very important. This ceremony was not in secret. This ceremony was done in public. He wanted Aaron and his sons, as Moses conducted the ceremony, for everyone to know who were his chosen. And can I remind you this morning that God wants to know who his chosen are? And when we don't go out there and proclaim our faith, what we're actually doing is hiding and not doing what God has called us to do. He's chosen you to proclaim his good news. Amen. And when you don't do it, you do the opposite. You're not doing what scripture says. You're defying scripture. You're contradicting scripture. Notice here, everything is done in public. Up to now, everything that we've read, every ceremony, everything that has taken place, Notice that it has been done in a public setting. Because God wants everyone to be aware who his chosen are. Amen. God wants to, everyone to be aware when he decides to make a decision, why he's making it. And who he's making it for. So again, this ceremony takes place in a public setting. You see, the Israelite priesthood back then were three things. Number one, they were the keepers of the word of God. Number two, they were the guardians of the word of God. And number three, they were the authority of the word of God. They were the ones who represented God here on earth at that time. Remember, Yeshua had not come yet. So the Levitical priesthood was these three things. They kept the word, they guarded the word, and they were authority of the word. Can you think about that for a second and reflect on that? You and I should keep the word, should guard the Amen. word, and have the authority to spread the word. Amen. So we see that what 1 Peter speaks about in chapter 2, verse 5, about the Levitical priesthood and that royal priesthood, it's very similar to what is spoken about here in the book of Leviticus. There's a lot of similarities. And so when we don't do it, church, we are doing the opposite, we're contradicting scripture. <clears throat> and we need to make sure 
that if we say we have faith in the one that we say we have faith in, that we need to live it out. In other words, they were the keepers, guards, and authority of the Torah. When I mean Torah, simply Torah means instructions. I know when people hear that word, they get scared. Torah simply means instructions. Amen. That's all it means. It was their duty to instruct the people of the word of God so they would not go astray. It is our duty to instruct people in the word of God so they won't go astray. Amen. The same way somebody instructed us at one point in time. Somebody spoke to us about Yeshua at one point in time. Guess what? That was the greatest thing they could have done for us. And when you received them as your Lord and Savior, that was the greatest gift you could have ever received, Amen. the gift of salvation. Everything else is just an icing on the cake. All the promises that God speaks about in his book, they're just an icing on the cake. Salvation. If God doesn't give you anything else, salvation is more than enough. Amen. Amen. And most important, from, aside from not going astray, it was their job to teach, to instruct the people so they will follow the commandments of God. And again, I want to emphasize these commandments were God's commandments, not Moses. It's not the Mosaic law. It's God's law given to Moses. Amen. Amen. The priests were servants not only unto God, but were also servants to the people. The priests were not to enrich themselves at the cost of the people. This is a very sensitive topic. Yes. I'm going to repeat that again. The Levitical priesthood not only served God first and foremost, but also served the people. Okay. They were not, not to enrich themselves at the cost of the people. When God gave the divisions to the 12 tribes, that he gave them pieces of land and he gave them possessions and everything else, the Levitical priesthood, was the only tribe that didn't receive anything. But up to now, have they missed anything? Mm -hmm. They didn't receive possessions. They didn't receive land. They didn't receive anything, as a matter of fact. But up to now, everything that we've read, we've noticed that they have not missed one thing. As a matter of fact, I mentioned a couple of weeks back that they were actually more wealthy then I believe the rest of the tribes because everything had to come to them. God made it a point that they were the center of everything. They were the ones who did the ceremony of the sacrifices. They're the ones that did everything and everyone else had to come to them. So the possessions that were kind of spread around the 12 tribes or the 11 tribes, they all came to the Levites. One way or another, it had to end with them because they were the ones that intercede for the people. So everything came to them and they had their shares, their parts according to scripture, like we read before. The priests of false religions, listen to this, and doctrines were among the most wealthy and powerful and privileged of that era. The priests of false religions, doctrines, were the most wealthy, powerful, and privileged of that era. Wow. This was only monetary though. Keep that in mind. Money comes, money goes. Yeah. Possession comes, possession goes. Yeah. But you got one soul. And 
And even though they were the most wealthy, the most privileged, and the most powerful during that era, it almost seems as history is repeating itself. If we tend to look around, scripture is being manipulated to tickle the ear of people, and that's all that people want to hear. They don't want to hear truth. They just want to be comfort. Because they may be going through something, they want to come into church, they feel vulnerable, Pastor may speak something contrary to what scripture says, takes scripture out of context, makes them feel good. They go back home. But when they go back home, reality is still there. Yeah. It felt good at that moment. Did they do them any good? No. no. They should have read the word for what it meant. They should have read the word for what it says. But when we don't, mm. we're actually hurting people. So it's not only my job as a pastor, but it's all of our jobs that when we talk to someone, we don't take scripture out of context just to suit our needs or our feelings. Or maybe because we feel sorry for that person or whatever it may be. We need to give them the truth. Amen. The truth will take you a lot, a lot further in lives. Even if it hurts, we need to speak the truth. Amen. And you know why I say that history may be repeating itself because of this. Look what 2 Timothy says. Go 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, you know, we take everything back to Scripture here. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. It says, But you understand this, that in the last days, hard times will come. So the Bible proclaims that in the last days, hard times will come. Okay? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, wow. boastful, arrogant, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, hard-hearted, unforgiving, backbiting, without self-control, brutal, hating what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding on, holding to an outward form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Gets better. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not put up with sound instructions. What did I just say that instructions were? So let's reread that. For the time will come where they will not put up with the Torah. Where is 2 Timothy? Wow. In the New Testament. What is modern Christianity says? Do away with the Old Testament. It means absolutely nothing. Wow. It doesn't apply to us. Well, wait a second. Timothy here is clearly quoting Torah. Timothy is clearly quoting the Old Testament. And who do you think Timothy got it from? Who taught Timothy? Paul? <laughs> Who was Paul? The Jews of Jews. But it gets even better. Who taught Paul? <laughs> sure. Or do you think Paul just came up with his own doctrine? Everything that Paul quotes in all the books in the New Testament, the foundation of that is found in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Because the New Testament had not been written yet. That's right. So everything that Paul wrote had to have a foundation from somewhere. 
And if you notice, if you study scripture, everything you find in Romans and Ephesians and everything else is found in the Old Testament. Right. Yet here again, we saw it last week when we spoke about James, that James was quoting the Torah, the Old Testament. Again, we see it here this morning, Timothy quoting the Old Testament, quoting Torah. They will not put up with sound instructions, but they will pile up for themselves teachers and keeping with their own desires to have their ears tickled and they will turn away from hearing the truth and wander off to myths. This is where the church is heading. And you know, can I tell you something? A lot of people say, oh, it's just unbelievers that are going that way. Can I tell you that it's actually believers that are pushing towards that? It is the very people that are sitting in church. It is the very people that are standing up here preaching the word of God that are actually pushing away from what God has ordered and ordained since the beginning of time. They want to come up with their own doctrines. They want to come up with their own Bibles. For God's sakes, the Pope, quote unquote, wrote his own Bible. And he says it's above the Bible. And everybody praises him for it. Because he's seated in what? In high places. But did I just mention, back then, those with false religion were the ones that were the wealthiest, were the ones that were that had the most influence. And that's exactly what is repeating itself. Yes. You see, History is cyclical. The Bible is cyclical. The events that took place thousands of years ago are actually taking place now. If not, when we read the Bible, how do we know that these promises are going to come about again? Because it happened once before. And if God promised it, guess what? He's faithful to keep his word. So what happened once will happen again. The promise that came forth once will come again. That's what faith is. And then our works is believing that which was spoken, that which was written. So we see history repeating itself, but we will also see the promises of God repeating themselves. The lack of knowledge and obedience from people to the word of God will drive them to enthrone those false prophets and teachers in the last day the Bible speaks about. The lack of knowledge and obedience. What did we just read in Timothy? That they will go after false doctrines because it makes them feel good. It tickles their ears. That's what people are looking for. They don't want to learn scripture. That's boring. You know why? Because when we learn scripture, scripture keeps us accountable. And we don't like accountability. We hate that. That's too big of a word. It costs too much. It's too much of a sacrifice from my end that I have to do when I learn what Scripture says. If I don't know it, hey, I'm good. Nobody ever taught me that. Well, it's actually our duties to invest time in learning what Scripture says. God is not going to force you to learn His Word. You should yearn to learn the Word of God. This entire consecration ceremony was God's plan, not the plan of Moses. As we see 
that Moses did what God ordered in verse 4. Go back to Leviticus 8 and look what verse 4 says. So Moses did as Adonai commanded him. Moses did what God ordered. Moses didn't tell God, hey, you have to do this. No, Moses did what God ordered. So we see Moses being led by God, not God being led by Moses. That's what is taught. That's what is taught. It, people make it seem as Moses was God himself when he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was Moses. So you're saying that the first five books of the Bible were just written by Moses and Moses was God during that era? Then God stepped in after Deuteronomy? Or doesn't Genesis open by speaking, let us make men in our image and likeness? Moses doesn't say that. Wasn't God that spoke creation? Moses didn't create anything. Wasn't Moses the one that spoke to Pharaoh for what God was bringing? No. None of the ten plagues were brought by Moses. They were brought by God. In verse 5, we see Moses confirms that which was spoken earlier in Exodus with just the instructions and now as needed to be carried out. In verse 5, it says, Moses said to the congregation, this is what Adonai has commanded to be done. So this is what I'm talking about that we read in the book of Exodus. Now it's coming to fruition. Now it's about to take place. Now the ceremony that we learned about earlier, it's about to happen. And God wanted it to be public. Amen? Amen. Let's continue Leviticus. We'll read from 6 to 13. It says, Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Amen. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash on him, clothed them with the robe, put the ephod on him, and tied the skillfully decorated sash on the ephod around him and fastened it to him. He then placed the breastplate of Aaron, and inside the breastplate he put the Urim and the Tumim. Remember, we, we read about that already. We explained what those were. There were two stones that were put inside the breastplate of the priest. And simply these stones were basically, when you look at the um, translation of these words, one stone meant guilty, the other one meant innocent. Mm -hmm. These were the stones that the priest would judge people by depending on what would happen during that time. So again, these two stones were inside the breastplate of the priest. He set the turban on his head, and on the front of the turban, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, just as Adonai commanded Moses. Verse 10, Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils, the basin with the stand, to consecrate them. Verse 12, he poured some of the anointing oil in Aaron's hand, sorry, head, and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with tunics, tied sashes on them, and fastened headbands on them as Adonai had commanded Moses. You will see that repeated time and time again, kind of remembering, uh, reminding us that it was God who spoke it, Moses carried it out. Now we read in verse 6, according to scholars, is what we will call today baptism. That, which, that we read in verse 6, 
Go back to it for a second. Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. That is what you and I nowadays will call baptism. What Moses did here is a symbol of baptism nowadays. So he washed Aaron, he washed his sons in water. Washing with water meant, was meant for purification. Remember, these were simply men. And men were what? Sinful. They had flaws. We have flaws. So washing them during the, prior to the ceremony meant that this water was purifying them for them to be able to step into what they were about to do uh, for God. So the washing was meant for purification, just as baptism today is washing away or cleansing the old men. When we get baptized, that we go into the water symbolically, we're supposed to leave behind the old men and the new one comes out of the water. That's what baptism is supposed to mean. You don't just go dip in the water somewhere and somebody prays for you after and that's it. No, your old mentality, your old ways, your old thoughts, your old behavior supposed to stay behind a new creation. A new creature comes out of the water. Someone new, washed by the blood, washed by the water. What this is, is an outward symbolic expression with an internal spiritual transformation. What took place here of Aaron and his sons was an outward expression. It's an outward symbolic expression of an internal transformation. The same thing when we do baptism. It is an outward expression to those that are around, but is an internal transformation within our lives. You're no longer should be thinking the same way. You no longer should be acting the same way. You no longer should be speaking the same way. There has to be some sort of transformation. And transformation is not on the outside. Listen, we can change the color of our hair. We can shave. We can cut our hair. We can change our clothes. All that is external. But the true transformation is on the inside. That's what needs to change. Or what is God concerned about? The way you look on the outside or the heart? Time and time again, God says he's concerned about the heart, not how nice you dress yourself. Now, again, this was done in a public setting. It was a humbling act because it happened publicly. This that Aaron and his sons were doing happened publicly. So it humbled them. God humbled them before he put them in this position. You know what? In the same manner, you and I humble ourselves before we are cleansed of our sins. Think about for a second. When we come before God and we ask God for forgiveness, what are we doing? We are humbling ourselves, asking God to forgive us, to pour his mercy, to pour his grace, so our sins can be forgiven. So in a sense, we are doing what Aaron and his sons were what Moses was doing for Aaron and his sons during this era of, as part of this ceremony that there was about to take place or that they were in the middle of. So we see a lot of similarities. We see a lot of things happening back then that you and I do nowadays. Then we see what Moses puts on Aaron and is exactly what you and I should be putting on every single morning before we step out of the house. Mm -hmm. And that is our priestly garments. Not every single one is described here, but that is 
your spiritual armor. Amen. If you guys remember, my wife gave a study on the armor of God, how nowadays or has been associated with the Roman armor, and that is completely, completely contrary to what Scripture says. Completely contrary to what Scripture says. We see it here in the book of Leviticus. This is what we are supposed to put on. This was what was put on on Aaron and his sons. This was their physical armor. It is our spiritual armor nowadays since we know we are spiritual Israel. Amen. This is what we should be putting on every single day before we step out of the house. It's nice to get dressed physically, but spiritually we also got to clothe ourselves. Look what Charles Spurgeon says, and I love to quote Charles Spurgeon. He says, these garments were provided for them. Please don't miss this. These garments were provided for them. They were at no expense in buying, nor labor in weaving them, nor skill in making them. They were simply to put them on. Us today as children of God are to put on the garments which Jesus has provided for us at his own cost which he freely bestows upon us out of the boundless of his love. Aaron and his sons simply just stood there, were washed, and were clothed. You and I, nowadays, spiritually, are washed and clothed. At whose expense? At the expense of Jesus on the cross. That's how we can relate to this. That's how we relate to scripture. We have to put it side by side. What Jesus did on the cross and what the Bible speaks about, there's a lot of similarities. Otherwise, how do we know that these things are applicable to us nowadays if we don't take the time to study them? Amen? Amen. Let's continue to read Leviticus chapter 8, verse 14. We'll read all the way down to verse 21. It says, Then he brought the bull of the sin offering. This is one of the offerings that we spoke about that we studied earlier in the first seven Actually, the first five chapters of Leviticus it says that he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Remember, this was a sign of transferring. We spoke about this already. This is a sign of transferring their sin onto this animal. Moses then slaughtered, took the blood and dabbed it on the horns of the altar with his finger. And so purified the altar. Then he poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated to make atonement for it. He then took all the fat that was on the innards, the cover of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and burned it up as smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide, its flesh and its dung, he burned with fire outside the camp. Remember, this is a phrase that we've seen time and time. Outside the camp basically meant outside where all the 12 tribes were. There was a big circle. The tabernacle was dead smack in the middle. Outside the camp meant outside the borders of where the tribes were. And burned it up as smoke on the altar. Sorry. Then the bull and his hide, his flesh, his dung, he burned up outside the camp as Adonai had commanded. He then presented the ram another animal, of the burnt offering. This is another offering that we studied. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Then Moses slaughtered and splashed the blood around the altar. After he cut the ram into pieces, Moses burned the head of 
burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. He washed the innards and the legs with water. Then Moses burned the whole ram up in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Adonai as Adonai had commanded Moses. Again, we see the same phrase over and over. We first read of the ordination of the priests, and now we read of the second part. First, it was talking about what was about to take place with Aaron and his sons. Now we see the second part of the part about the animals, the second part of the ceremony, the sacrifices. The, fat, the sacrifices that took place for the ceremony, which we already studied during earlier chapters, now we see their purpose a little further. Remember, we studied this in the first five chapters, and maybe some of us may still have had questions. Why this is being done? Well, now you can associate why the sin offering was done, why the burnt offering was done. It was part of this Levitical ceremony. Like these priests, every believer can only and truly be consecrated to God through sacrifice. Listen to me, please. The same way as the Levitical priesthood, you and I, as believers, can only and truly be consecrated to God through sacrifice. But yet, our consecration should be more significant because it was made through a greater sacrifice. These were animals that were being sacrificed. You and I, as believers, consecrated to God, have a much uh, bigger, more significant Sacrifice that was done and that was the Son of God <coughs> So when we say yes, and we put our hand on the plow we got to understand that our yes Need to mean yes. It's not yes for the time being. It's not yes because it fits me good It's not yes because I'm okay with God for the time being because God is doing everything I want him to do and when he doesn't I take my hand off it doesn't work that way. God is not a business God is not a business those of us that are married, when we say yes, and we make a vow to our wives, or wives to their husbands, it should be a vow for all, to the end of time. Through the good times, through the bad times, through sick, through everything. If you're not with your wife, or your wives are not with husbands because everything's going good, but when you get into the first argument, you say, I'm out of here, I don't need to deal with this. You don't do that, right? So if you don't do that, why is it that it's so easy for us when something doesn't go our way, we take our hand off the plow and we say, you know what? I'm gonna try it on my own. See how far I can go. See if it works out. And when it doesn't, then we run back to God. And God is so amazing, he's so faithful that he's exactly where you left him. He's so amazing that he's right where you left him. He doesn't run away from you. As a matter of fact, He's counting the time, the days, the hours, the seconds, waiting for you to run back. Just like the prodigal son ran back to his father. That's exactly what God is doing. He's saying, I can't wait for him to come back. I can't wait for her to come back. She might be doing something on her own, but I can't wait for them to come back to me. Because I'm just going to show them my grace and my mercy and show them that without me, it is impossible. But with me, all things are possible. Amen. So again, our consecration should be more significant because of the greater sacrifice, and that was Yeshua himself. The idea of the altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle courtyard was a place of death, but also new life. Please don't miss this. The idea of the altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar, which was in the middle 
of where all the tribes were, which was right outside the holy place, this altar of sacrifice, also known as the brazen altar, was a place of death, but also a place of new life. See, when the sacrifice took place, it was the death of an animal. But it was giving new life to that sinner. Come on, somebody. Come on. There was death of an animal, but new life to the sinner. Wow. Remember, it was the sinner that would bring the animal, the best of the best. They would put it on that brazen altar. They would do the ceremony of that sacrifice. And that sinner would go back understanding that his sins were washed away. God forgave them. And now he was a new person again. So there was death, but there was also life. Amen. Just as the cross Amen. and what Yeshua did, crucified, was also, there was death, but there was also a new life. Amen. He died, but gave us new life. Amen. Thank God Amen. for that cross. Yes. Amen. Thank God for that cross. Thank God for that sacrifice. Otherwise, you and I would not be here today. There were three aspects of the ceremony that needed to take place in order to show total commitment to God. Then, and those were, number one, they needed to be cleansing. Remember, they were washed with water. Two, anointing. Moses said that he took anointing oil. And three, atonement. There needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a death. There needed to be a substitute, a kaparat. There needed to be a substitute for this ceremony actually to take place. Well, guess what? These three things take place in our lives spiritually Amen. nowadays. The same thing. We need to be washed. Amen. There needed to be an atonement. And the anointing is the Spirit of God that lives within us. That's the anointing that you have nowadays. Some believers walk around with their heads down thinking that they don't have any anointing. That the only person that has anointing is the pastor that's in the pulpit. Well, guess what? I'm just human just like you. I'm just exercising in the fruit of the Spirit and believing what God said about me. And if He said I am set apart, I am part of that royal priesthood, well, then I'm going to operate under those things. Amen. You can do the same. Nobody can tell you otherwise. God says you're set apart, you're royal priesthood. Amen. You have the same authority as I do. Just we don't act upon it because we're afraid. What are people going to think? Are they going to mock us? Ooh, you're different. <laughs> Are you a Christian? <laughs> All of a sudden, we get 10,000 labels. Yeah. Depending on what we believe, is the religion that we are. What is that? It's called ignorance. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. Yeah. I think I shared a study with, um, this story with you guys a couple of weeks ago. I had to talk to a friend of mine in a while, and I called him to ask him a question. And, I mean, it just caught me out of left field. And he goes, hey, um, there's a rumor going around that you're Jewish now. <laughs> I said, Jewish? Said, Who told you that? He goes, yeah, man, I heard you converted the whole church to Judaism. I said, I converted the whole church to Judaism? Last time I checked, I don't have that power. Everybody makes their own decisions. And no, I'm not Jew. I just choose to believe what the entire Bible says. Jesus did not start in Matthew. He started in Genesis, by the way. So no, I'm not a Jew. So whoever told you that, tend to read the Bible. 
if they even read it. If not, tell them to call me and I'll explain it to them. Be my pleasure. You're not going to call you. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you, I'm going to call you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Lack of knowledge, like ignorance, guys. Ignorance. Ignorance. We read that there was oil and blood sprinkled on the altar as well as different items on the tabernacle. Why was that done? See, these are the questions that we need to have when we read something. Why did Moses take the time to sprinkle oil and blood, not only on the altar, but on the items that were around the altar? Why was this done? These items were built by what? By humans. Human hands. Sinful hands. So because until it was cleansed and purified, it was not fit for duty unto God. Until that point, it was just a building with items in it. That's all it was. With a beautiful curtain dividing the holy place from the holies of holies. It was still sinful because it hadn't been purified, it hadn't been cleansed. These items were made by human hands, therefore they were unclean. And uncleanliness, you know what? It's contagious. Wow. Uncleanliness mm -hmm. is contagious. Keep rubbing shoulders with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. That sticks. Yeah. You're supposed to take the word. Just don't hang around that area. Because it sticks. Now again, this in Leviticus 8, we read it, we read it before, it might sound redundant, but you know what is needed? You see, just as is mentioned before in the Torah, which means instruction, the best way to instruct something is through what? Repetition. Yeah. Those of us that have kids, mm -hmm. when you tell your kids something the first time, do they listen? <laughs> no. Do they do it? No. Does it sink in? Absolutely not. It must be repeated over and over and over. Guess what? You and I are no different. That's right. Sometimes we listen, but we have spiritual amnesia, so we forget. Sometimes we forget on purpose. So remember, if we remember, we're held accountable, and we don't want to be held accountable. So God says it over and over and over. Remember, I just said earlier, the Bible is cyclical. It's repeated over and over and over to remind us of those things that we should be doing and the ones that we should not be doing. Yeah. You will find many things in the Old Testament repeated over again in the New Testament in a different manner. But it's the same exact thing. It's repetitious. Because that's the, way, the best way to instruct when you read it once, notice when you read a book once, sometimes it doesn't really sink in. You read it again, now you get the first part of it. Then you read it again, now you get up to halfway down the book. Then you read it a third and fourth time, you're like, oh, that's what it meant. <laughs> that's so true. Guess what? 
God is the same way. He tells you something one time, and we don't understand. He'll tell you again. You're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm following now. I'm following. I'm getting in. He'll repeat it a third or fourth time. You go, you know what? That's what you meant the first time. <laughs> I wish you would have told me that the first time. No, I told you four times. <laughs> Just don't pay attention. Don't pay attention. We don't pay attention. And I'll begin to close with these last verses. We're going to read from 22 all the way to the end. Guys, with me. Amen. So then he presented the second ram. Here we see the third animal, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the Aaron. Again, transferring their sins onto this ram. Moses slaughtered, took some of its blood, and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear. Please don't miss this. He put the blood on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand. On the great toe of his right foot. If you're lefty, sorry. It speaks only right people are preferred. According to, the, uh, according to the Bible, people that are right-handed are preferred. I'm just kidding, guys. Just kidding. So it was on his right ear. It was on his right thumb. It was on his right foot. Sorry for you. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put some of the blood on the tips of their right ear. So he did for Aaron. He's also doing it for his sons. On the thumbs of their right hand, on the great toe of their right feet. Then Moses splashed the blood around the altar. He took the fat, the fat tail, which we spoke about. We studied that already, what it meant. And all the fat that was on the innards, as well as the cover of the liver. The two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. Then out of the basket of matzah, which is unleavened bread, that was before Adonai, he took a matzah cake and a cake of oiled bread and one wafer and placed them on the fat and on the right thigh. He put all of these in Aaron's hands and in the hands of his sons and did what? And waved them. Come on. For a wave offering. They were a consecration for a soothing aroma. Sorry. For a, Moses took them from their hands and burnt they Moses took them from the hand and burned them up on the altar for a burnt offering. They were consecrated for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to Adonai. Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before Adonai. It was Moses' portion. So Moses not only did with Aaron and his sons the, the same thing that he did after, this was the portion of Moses. Moses at this moment was acting as that priesthood, as the priest, until Aaron and his sons were fit for duty. But they first had to be what? Purified in order to act as that priesthood. So in that moment, Moses is acting in behalf of Aaron. So then again, this is the portion. You see what I was talking about? The Levitical priesthood didn't inherit anything. Everything was given to them. Here, what Moses is doing is an example of the Levites. He did part of the ceremony, so God said, okay, the right thigh is yours. That's your cut. Everything's in Scripture, guys. Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before Adonai. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as Adonai commanded Moses. Verse 30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on his sons' garments with him. So he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and his sons' garments with him. Moses then said to Aaron and to his sons, boil the meat 
at the entrance of the tent of meeting and eat it there, along with the bread and that is in the basket of ordination, as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons are to eat it. What remains of the meat and of the bread you shall burn with fire. Verse 33. You are not to go out from the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day of your ordination are fulfilled. Until the days of your ordination are fulfilled. For he will be filling your hands for seven days. What has been done this day, Adonai has commanded to be done in order to make atonement for you. Verse 35, you are to stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and keep Adonai's command so that you do not die. Keep his commands so that you do not die. Oh, but do away with the commandments. We don't need them. Your life depends on it. <clears throat> for, so have, for so I have been commanded. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things that Adonai commanded through Moses. So Moses did not command. Moses did not dictate anything. It was God that ordained Moses, through Moses for Moses to speak and <coughs> unto Aaron and his sons. Now on these last 14 verses, the ceremony takes a turn in these verses. Before the blood would be sprinkled on the altar and on the other items of the tabernacle. Now the blood is being put on certain parts of Aaron and his sons. Cannot miss that. Prior to verse 22, the blood was put on the tabernacle and different items within the tabernacle. Now, that blood of the sacrifice of these animals is being put on the right ear, the right finger, the right toe. Not only of Aaron, but his sons. What is the meaning behind that part? Please do not miss this, because this is where we tie the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is where we're going to tie Leviticus and what Jesus did on the cross. During this time, skin diseases, like the one the Bible refers to as leprosy, were greatly feared and thought to be highly contagious. Remember, there was no medicine like we have today back then. So when there was a disease, nine out of ten times you were dying. So this that Moses is doing over Aaron and his sons is more of a spiritual covering so they would not be affected by any skin disease mm -hmm. such as leprosy. Mm -hmm. Everything has a spiritual significance. We have to look into it. We have to study. We have to meditate on it. What is God telling us by what Moses is doing here to Aaron? Is it just blood being sprinkled on the ear of Aaron? Is it just blood put on his right toe? No, there's a bigger, deeper significance to this. And this is what we need to take time to study and see what God is trying to say. Skin diseases were an outward symbol of an internal condition. Wow. <clears throat> Leprosy was an outward symbol of an internal condition. That sickness that was shown on the outside by a person that had leprosy was something that started on the inside of that person. Well, guess what? 
so is sin. Sin is also an outward symbol of an internal condition. When you make that action, you take that action to sin, it was first where? Your heart. It was here. You thought about it, put it into action. So the same way leprosy was an internal and then an, uh, an internal um, condition of an outward symbol, so it's sin. That's why we need to be so careful, guys. So careful whenever we're going to act upon something. Even, even, and actually I'm going to go a step further and say, don't do when you're upset. Whether it's something or something that happened. Don't act. Because actions under those type of emotions or that type of impulse drives you always to do the opposite of what scripture says. And you end up sinning instead of actually taking and making the right decisions. So what Moses is doing here is kind of a spiritual covering over Aaron and his sons. Look what 1 Samuel verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 7 says. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. <laughs> Says best. Adonai said to Moses, uh, Adonai said to Samuel, "Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have already refused him. For he does not see a man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Adonai looks into the heart." While we focus so much on the outward appearance, that's why I said earlier, it doesn't matter which way you have your hair, what you put on, none of that stuff. God doesn't look at none of that. He doesn't care about that. It's what's in here that matters. It's what's in here that matters. Because the mouth speaks, the abundance of the mouth speaks what? Out of the heart. So God is concerned about the condition of your heart. Not what clothing you're wearing. Not how good you smell. He doesn't care about none of that. He's concerned about your heart. He doesn't care if you showered yesterday or not. Please do so before you come to service. God is concerned about the heart. He's concerned about the heart. This is why God is so concerned about our internal issues in our heart because from there flows the issues of life. Sin is an issue, and we all deal with it on an everyday basis. Sin does not take a back seat. It is in us every single day. And it's how we act and what we do that either we sin or we do not. Do we allow the Spirit of God to lead us? Or do we just act under our own emotions? Do we allow the Spirit of God to lead us? Because the Spirit of God, if you choose to believe that Jesus died on the cross and He rose on the third day, and you choose, choose to believe that He is your Lord and Savior, guess what? The Spirit lives in you, so as it lives in me. Amen. He lives in me just as He lives in you. And so when we allow the Spirit to flow, when we allow the Spirit to lead us, you're not going to fall into that sin because the Spirit of God is never going to lead you into any temptation or any sin. 
It's going to lead you in the opposite direction. But it's our emotions, our impulse that lead us into that sinful nature because it is in us already. Between men, cleanness cannot be transferred. Between men, cleanness cannot be transferred. Only God can turn uncleanliness into cleanness. Amen. I'll say that again. Between men, cleanness cannot be transferred. I cannot transfer you cleanness onto you. And you cannot transfer cleanness onto me because we're both sinners. So uncleanliness exists. God is the only one that can transfer uncleanliness into clean. The illustration of the blood and the oil here is symbolic to that of Yeshua and his spirit. The oil and the blood here in Leviticus chapter 8 is significant and it's symbolic to Yeshua and his spirit. He bled on the cross, his spirit dwells within you. It's yes. blood and oil. Remember, oil represents the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It is through the acceptance of Messiah that his blood cleanses us from all iniquity and his spirit. Oil leads us away from sin. The Spirit leads us away from sin, never into sin. But there's one last illustration that God shows here in the ceremony. Please don't miss this. Just as blood was sprinkled on Aaron and the altar, there's an inseparable link being shown here between the priesthood and the sacrifice. Remember, the blood was spread on the altar, the blood was sprinkled on the altar. The blood, the blood was sprinkled on Aaron and his sons. Aaron was about to step into a priest. Blood was associated with the sacrifice. So what do I mean by that? By means of the blood from the altar, Aaron and his sons are ordained to sacrifice at the altar. Aaron and his sons being the priests with that blood. They were meant to sacrifice where? And ordained to work at the altar. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yet later, the blood of a high priest would be used as the sacrificial blood. The shadow and type of the blood sacrifice spoken in the book of Leviticus connects what we see between Leviticus and what Yeshua did on the cross. The blood sacrifice in Leviticus and Aaron being the priest, later on, that blood that was shed on the cross Amen. by our high priest, Amen. if you choose to believe in him, it is the sacrificial blood that's once and for all for all those who trust in Amen. Messiah Amen. Yeshua. Amen. So we see what this ceremony that takes place in the book of Leviticus, it is completely linked to what Jesus did Amen. on the cross. Amen. There was blood, there was oil, and there was a priest. There was a high priest, there was blood, 
and there was oil Amen. on the cross. Amen. There was an inseparable link between the ceremony in Leviticus and what Jesus did on the cross. Tying in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord. So we see Leviticus ties in the New Amen. Testament and we see Timothy tying in the Old Testament. Amen. It is one book, one love story. Amen. One law for all. Come on. And one law for all. Amen. One instruction for all. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's go ahead and stand, please. Go ahead and.